How do you build a platform? You have to bring buyers and sellers together at the same time and in the right proportion. Otherwise, there are no transactions and customers are unlikely to visit your platform again. In this episode, Tobias, the founder of Kaput.de, shares his experience in building up a repair platform. My name is Patrick Hübscher and this is Circularity FM, the podcast about understanding, building and managing circular business models. He founded Kaputt.de, the go-to place for repairing your smartphone in Germany. The company won the EcoDesign Award. He is leading Kaputt.de since seven years and has a repaired phone himself. Welcome, Tobias. Hi, Patrick. Thanks for having me. When was the last time that your phone was broken? This, sadly, was this Sunday. I actually managed to drop a cup have smartphone in the other hand and smash the cup and the phone. My, my heart's still bleeding. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> so this was actually yesterday. Yeah. So is it already fixed by now? Or? Yep, it is. It has been a, a pre-fixed phone anyway. Um, so we had, has had several iterations of fixes, but I managed to fix that problem now already. I can't think of anyone else who was able to fix it that fast as you. Can you give us a short intro of Kaputt.de? Sure. Kaputt.de is a platform slash marketplace for fixing broken devices. Imagine you drop your phone, maybe together with a cup or not, and <laughs> it obviously lands on uh, face down on the display and you have to fix it. So now you're confronted with the problem that, okay, you know that it's theoretically possible to fix it and you know you could theoretically do it yourself and also there are professionals doing it for you. So you have to decide between the two and you have to be able to judge the quality and the speed and the uh, price of the two. So that's why we founded Capote. Because um, we wanted to bring that kind of comparability and also transparency, basically, into the market by showing you how you can fix it yourself and also by showing you professionals that can fix it for you. By seeing those side by side, you can make, make an basically informed decision um, what the right path for your specific case is to actually fix the phone. Okay. So you mentioned uh, the professionals and me as a yeah, owner of a phone or user of a phone. So I guess these are also like two key sides of the platform. Can you tell us a bit more of what kind of professionals and what kind of customers Kaputt.de is bringing together? Yeah, looking at the professional side, I mean, um, for smartphones, obviously, there are tons and tons of shops that you can see um, looking outside the window, basically. And they are of varying quality. We list those if they uh, meet our requirements. So we have basically a local listing there of repairment. And on the demand side, on the customer side, well, it's people like you and me, basically. So people whose phone broke and who are looking for a solution and maybe have an idea in mind as to what that solution could be, professional or not, or do it yourself. And maybe sometimes say they don't have it in mind. So And these are mainly private people or are there also businesses involved? Uh, right. There are sometimes businesses involved, but we are focusing on private customers. Okay. And then you also mentioned that you 
or offer them help to repair the phone themselves. Uh, how does that look like? What's the value proposition there? For a phone, you can normally pinpoint what your defect roughly will be. So you can say, okay, screen is broken, battery doesn't charge anymore, or the plug doesn't fit in right anymore. With that a priori information, basically we provide a funnel for users. So you click through, you say, okay, my Google Pixel or iPhone or whatever a phone is broken because um, the screen is cracked and um, I want to repair it myself. And what we show them is we have uh, videos. We have a video team producing actual repair manuals and also we put together a set with just the right part with uh, fitting and high quality parts with which you can um, then do it yourself with this uh, video manual okay was this all also the setting at the very beginning that you had the consumers and the professionals and the offer to fix it from your side or how, how did it start like we had a pretty broad scope from the beginning so we said okay we want to have that comparability that i mentioned in the beginning so list the different options um, for people to be able to choose the right one. So we started broad and we didn't, for example, put together the sets ourselves. But in the beginning, um, it was uh, third parties putting together the sets. This proved to be um, a little cumbersome because um, quality and availability weren't always given. Um, even some of the Big sellers, for example, on Amazon that specialize on smartphone parts, they sometimes um, ship like worrying quality. The first time you order, it's a perfectly good part, but the second time you order, something is missing or something is, doesn't fit right. So that's why we decided to actually do that ourselves. It was not a plan in the beginning. Maybe it was on some uh, investor slide for this could someday be real, but it's real now. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but towards the customer, the private end user, the services you offered were already back then. Customers can repair it themselves with your help or that they can find a local repair shop. Exactly, exactly. In the first version, when was that? How many years ago was that? Um, we found it in 2015. So um, we went live, I guess, um, mid-2015. Yeah. I should know about uh, <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, about f five and a half years ago uh, right. from now. Right. How many shops did you have? Uh, listed back then when you launched roughly well we started out, out with in a very startup fashion with only berlin because we couldn't mm -hmm. talk to the to, to the shops ourselves and we had in the beginning maybe 15 shops or something like this then we uh, quite soon actually partnered with with uh, several bigger uh, chains of uh, repair companies increased the number of, of of local repair shops quite significantly pretty fast but um for now With Corona, one must say, we have a, a quite a reduced number as to compared to our all-time high. Yeah, right. I perceive Caputo Air as kind of a platform bringing together the, um, the shops and the customers. And there's normally this chicken egg problem. So far, I understood that you started with a regional scope in Berlin, a set of uh, partners. And once this was set up, you launched the platform and focused on getting traffic from consumers. That's right, right? Yeah, that's right. How did it develop so far? Was it then like a, a development 
in same speed that customers perceive Caputé used the, the service and more and more shops were reaching out to you or uh, did you have to focus a lot on the customer side or on the on the shop side where was the the bottleneck in in terms of growth in the beginning we almost exclusively focused on the customer side on the user side very very soon very soon in the beginning learned that actually the repair shops search for business opportunities the same way as users search for solutions so once we were visible mostly through google visible in the search engines then the shops came to us actually so we had basically a, a passive sign up uh, form and after we had the first bunch of like the first 15 or something like this um, repairmen basically they wanted to get in Because they saw, okay, there's someone who outranks me for certain search terms or who is some, somehow visible or got the newspaper article or something like this. So they realized we were there. And then basically the supply side, they came to us. Okay. Did this ever change over the course of the last five years? No, it's pretty much the same. Um, like our core product for now, that's maybe interesting as well. We are focusing on smartphones and have been for the longest time, but we are vision is to broaden that um, to all electronic devices all over Germany, then all over Europe and all over the world. Kaput works in many languages. Um, yeah, what we uh, learned right now is we, we started uh, smartwatch repair and um, the same thing happened there, basically. People were asking us even before we even offered anything there if it's possible for them to also repair their smartwatches and now we um we started to do an offering there and we, it was a really rapid growth and um we are repeating that right now with consoles as well cool customer demand and then adjusting how did you decide what kind of shop owners to accept uh, on your platform or did you just take anyone in that's a very interesting question because We thought about it quite a lot in the beginning. Yeah, looking at other startups or possibilities, like how to solve this problem. Mystery shopping would be one way to solve that. Also, of course, there are existing ratings on other platforms. You can't really know how good they are or how much they actually count. So there is like a Yelp and Google places and stuff like that. But in the end, what we did was um, we took all those existing sources of information that we have. We took those together and then kind of gave the benefit of a doubt. And then within the first month or two, if there were no differences with the partner, then um, we uh, allowed them in full. But we made it like um, step by step, because even by mystery shopping, you might uh, always get a bad day or strange product or something like this. This is kind of in the nature of the repair business. Because we always talk with the persons uh, like the repair shops uh, on the phone and you can get like an additional layer of information there and this actually worked out very well did you ever have to delist some repair shops yes this happens um, but normally this happens within the first month of somebody listing um, like within the first or first two actually the first two months which is our the period where we look very closely what the partner does does not do Yeah, yeah, right. Looking at Caputé from the perspective of the repair shops, how do they perceive that you're also offering this self-help and self-repair? Is it for them like a threat or maybe they don't even care about that one? Yeah. 
Um, in the beginning, we um, prepared our when we when we pitched our first uh, repair shops, and um, we prepared our pitch very much toward that question because we thought we would have to explain them why it's not a competition for them. We think it isn't, but it turns out they already knew. They were sure that okay. Some people repair themselves. Some people know how to do it. Some don't. Um, but for us, this doesn't change anything. It's just an additional offer. Like if somebody doesn't manage to, to finish their repair, then they will come to us anyway. So they didn't perceive that as something threatening to their business model because they know it from their day to day to their business. And are you able to steer, let's say, the traffic on your side towards one solution over the other? Normally, users come to our platform with an idea of what the solution will be. So people don't say, my device is broken. I don't know what to do. Show me all, all options. Um, but rather, I'd rather repair it myself. They, then they probably search via YouTube more than Google, maybe. And Or I want to find a repairman that does that for me. What we do is um, we offer the other solution on the page that uh, it's geared towards one solution. So, for example, on the manual page, we also offer the third-party services. Exchange goes in both directions. So basically, somebody coming to us and wanting to get or find a repair services, go to the manuals, normally with like a 15% chance. That's uh, basically what it came down to. And the other way around is just the same. So people come to us and want to repair themselves, but then see, okay, there's for just a little more money, there's a professional service. So they go to them. So that both types happen, even at the same exchange rate, basically. And I can imagine the self-help with the kids from your side is maybe a bit more profitable, or at least you get more uh, revenue. Or do you have an incentive business model-wise to steer the traffic a bit more towards one direction? And do you, do you try to follow that or resist that? Sure. Yeah. Very good question. Very good question. Because, um, actually when we, when we started the company, then this was uh, our big concern that basically money drove us to do one thing or the other. And there is okay to say this is completely not the case. It's, uh, depends actually on like the situation, but looking at the overall pl platform at everything we do there, that's actually not the case. So we don't steer heavily towards one, uh, one direction or the other. Revenue-wise, if we sell the sets, then that's uh, more revenue usually. But then again, the profit-wise, they are actually quite similar. Like one is uh, one is looking best, better on the balance sheet, but both bring us forward in a similar manner. So that's um, why we don't push too hard into one or the other directions. And this was important to us and still is um, always important to us to look at that and to have that in balance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you say you're looking at that, are there any KPIs you regularly watch? Yeah, the one of the core platform KPIs is normally the GMV, which means that business that's ha that happens because of the platform, but ne not necessarily on the platform. So, for example, for us, if we sell one set, then it's a certain amount of revenue on the platform that we have in our books. But if we sell the repair, then it's a bigger amount that happens because of the platform, but most not in our books. So that's one uh, important KPI that we look at just to have an overall feeling as to how much we move within the repair scene or within the market, however you want to phrase it. So that's an important one. And then in the end, what's the part that we can actually keep of that transaction better as well. And in between, there's the revenue. 
Maybe still follow up on that one. So Kaputte is also kind of a matchmaking uh, platform. And I, uh, I know that sometimes matchmaking platforms have to challenge that they get their share of the pie so that they prevent uh, users going directly to the local shops uh, without you being able to track that and getting your share. Is this something that is a challenge for you right now? Mm. This is a challenge we have come to peace with. We know that there is a certain percentage of a business that we enabled, but we won't see money for. What we settled with was for offline transaction, for local shop transaction, there can't be, shouldn't be, to be honest, um, like a perfect tracking um, of every, uh, of all the three parties involved. This is kind of of course, uh, would be nice to have for us, but what's the, what's the value in that anyway? For now, we, um, we, we settled on some kind of generalized and, uh, statistical contact fee basically that reflects a provision and, in, and in, in how high it is. So that's what we do. And we know there's some business that is untracked, but we try to find out how much it could be roughly and then um, put that on top of the contact, uh, contact fees basically. Right. Okay. How do you try to make it more attractive for the user to book the repair via Caputi instead of uh, going down the street and book it offline? This depends on, on what the user is booking for send-in repairs for everything that happens completely online. That we can actually have a, a pretty strict control over um, how fast it is, what the quality is, um, what the rights for the for the users are, and uh, benefits for the users are by to booking to us. Um, so we always give like the maximum of benefits that usually repair shops like that give. For local shops, it's just a comparison for them. Like that's, that's the most important uh, stuff for them. Uh, like to have the comparison and to have a, um, third party provide the information so they can, that it can, that they can uh, make the right decision, the informed decision. So sometimes users value that and uh, realize that there is something for them. Sometimes they don't. Um, in the end for them, it doesn't matter in terms of the price doesn't change, right? Um, we see it, repair shop sees it, um, user can appreciate it or not, but uh, we are there for them. Yeah, yeah. cool. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you do have returning customers. Um, yeah, I'm not asking for the number, but, but is this something you try to achieve that people coming back uh, or is this even possible uh, and you you work on it that uh, i don't know after the uh, smartphone has been repaired then um, that you're at least aware that uh, in case your smartwatch breaks down that uh, kaput is also there to help you out yeah you give the you give the right hint there right <laughs> and the question actually that's uh, that's uh, one one of the main points now that we go from smartphones into other devices before just for smartphones it was really difficult to make a customer a recurring customer it would be it would be sad fact anyway because it would be someone who <laughs> smashes his, his phone his or her phone regularly we did have recurring customers there but not too many now with um, the extended offerings that the more device groups we offer, actually this is getting more and more now. And, and talking about the future, will you remain in the private field? So focusing on uh, private consumers or are there any plans to, uh, to also unlock the professional fields considering that more and more people talk about the circular economy and the right to repair and, and things like that? 
there are different fields where we can go in the, into the business to business uh, section. One where we are actively looking at when, when Corona hit, we started to offer to the local shops that didn't have an online offering to offer, um, sent in repairs through Kaput on a Kaput branded repair. So actually to help them have businesses, although the shops either had to lock down or as well was unclear whether they could already open. It wasn't. During the first lockdown, this was a big problem, actually. Many of our local um, repairmen took this offer. And um, so what we learned there was um, that they could actually need some software side help, like backend side help to, uh, to manage um, a send inflow. We are pretty professional there already, of course, way more professional than most of the single repair shops. And we are also um, offering that to them. Uh, more and more via our backend. That's something we are actively actively working on, and that we are extending and expanding pretty rapidly right now. This really helps them to even know what, like, to keep track of single packages and stuff like that, and to single repairs. And maybe if there is some longer transaction, that they can know what is happening there. On the other um, hand, um, like for often offering repairs to companies. Yeah, we do that uh, sometimes, but not too, the focus is not too much on there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And maybe as a last question, are there any other surprises in hindsight where the initial hope or also fear didn't uh, turn out to be real? Well, like every startup, how fast you can achieve, uh, you can achieve how much I think it's more, more, more broader and more general term. I think in the first, half year or year where the quick wins come one after the other basically that tends to uh, make you not look at the stuff that still has to be done to make that work properly and this this is kind of the thing where yeah because we are now an older company i'd say um, not exactly a startup anymore um, that's uh, something that in, in the first few months as i said it seems like uh, just a small problem that has to be dealt with but in fact it's pretty much a big thing like going from Starting up to having a, a reliable, solid operations—that's uh, that's a biggie. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you kind of combined uh, sufficient ambition at the be at the beginning, and then uh, sufficient determination uh, later on to uh, keep on going. Yeah, yeah, in the beginning, the ups are there, the downs will come, <laughs> yeah. and you have to be able to deal with those, and uh, sometimes even carry on if it's if the times are hard. <laughs> Cool. Thanks a lot for sharing uh, your experience with us, Tobias. Thank you, Patrick. In this episode, we learned a lot about building a platform. The next episode will be with Urban Bikes and why they set up their own fair frame label. Until then, please don't forget, the most abundant renewable resource is your imagination. My name is Patrick Hübscher and this is Circularity FM, the podcast about understanding, building and managing circular business models.